The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast for Season 3, Episode 7 of The Americans, Walter Taffet. In this episode, we're going to talk about Fleetwood Mac, drawbridge disasters, and the challenges of being a first-time director. I'm Molly Nussbaum, the script coordinator here at The Americans. I am here today in our writer's office in Brooklyn with my bosses, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg, and the star of our show, as well as the director of this week's episode, Noah Emmerich, which makes this week's episode The Americans. Ugh. <laughs> it's so hard to pronounce that it's way. The Americans. The Americans. That's yeah. the much better way of getting to it. <laughs> we said as soon as you get your first Emmy nomination, we're going to have to start calling you Noah Emmerich. <laughs> Then it's really confusing. I'll take it. I'll it's take a lot the name of puns change. all at once. Is this your first time directing for TV, Noah? It is. How did that go? Uh, it was great. What was it, it like was... <laughs> getting the getting the script? I'm so loquacious. Yeah, right? Uh, no, it was great. Um, that was the most anticipatory moment of the whole thing was getting the script. Because, you know, you get, they give you your slot. You know you're doing episode seven, but you have no idea what episode seven is. It could be very action-heavy. It could be very emotional-heavy. You know, I actually got sort of one of my favorite scripts of the season, fortuitously. Uh, but as a director, I was really trying to hold on to that first impression. Someone had given me some advice, which is just never lose touch with how you see it. And the, sort of the freshest you know, take on that is the first read. So I really wanted to sort of be open to the experience and what bubbled up in my, in my imagination in terms of how I saw what I was reading. So when you finally got your mitts on the script and really sat down with it, how was your approach as a director now very different than when you first get a script as an actor? And also you're in this episode. It's not like you were only directing it. Right. So did you have to sort of approach it two times in two different ways? Or is a lot of that first impression the way you approach your performance as well? You know, it was it's a really good question. It was startlingly different. I had tried to read previous scripts as a director, like if I was directing this episode, what would I do? Just sort of as a warm-up, as a practice, to sort of exercise those muscles. And I thought I had been doing that all along. And then when I finally got the episode that really was my episode, it, it was inexplicably different. I just, I read every scene with a totally different point of view, really from the director's point of view. How would I stage this? How would I film it? What's the location? What are they wearing? Who is the scene about? Like just the, the questions, the sort of uber macro questions that a writer has or a director has. I hadn't realized how sort of ingrained I was in the insulated point of view of the character, even if I'm reading it, thinking I'm reading it as a director. I'm really reading it as sort of Stan on some level. I was not able to sort of inorganically shed that point of view until it really was the script I was directing. To me, actually, you just seemed happier as a director than an actor. I'm just right. going to put it out there. You seemed happier, <laughs> well, maybe 30 to 40 percent happier. <laughs> maybe I was I'm much happier. Than, I, I was much happier than Stan. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not that hard to do. That's a low bar. Well, especially <laughs> this season. That's a low bar. Especially so, even this episode. Like, Stan really has a bummer of an episode in seven. Yeah. Like, Adderholt's on his case about Nina. Sandra kind of implies, not implies, she says we need to do something about uh, being husband and wife. She basically says she wants to get a divorce. His yeah. friend has died in a plane crash. Yeah. He's, like, talking to Philip about his, his dating problems. His like son doesn't really want to talk to him. No. I that's mean, Stan's kind of a typical Stan episode. Yeah. Stan's kind of having a rough It's a, a rough typical Stanner day. Uh, uh, <laughs> I almost said I, no more puns at the beginning of the episode. I wish I had. <laughs> I wish you had, too. It would, not have <laughs> stopped, it would not have stopped him. I thought that was a good pun Joel just made. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting, you know, that happened to me on the set. One of the crew who I've known now for, this is our third season together. 
I was directing Seven, and he came up to me in the middle of the, of the shoot and said, you know, it's funny. I never realized how different you are from Stan. And I was like, wait a minute. I've been with you for like almost three years. And like, you just now realizing that I'm not, because I'm, when I, I realize whenever I'm on set, like I am Stan, essentially. Even if you're not, you know, even if you're sort of between takes or have a few hours at lunch, you're still sort of meditating and brewing and digesting and percolating on, on the character that you have to perform any minute. Uh, so I'm not really myself so much on set. Uh, you know, not that I'm some method, you know, deep method in character all day, but to some degree there is, it is tainted completely. Knowing that big difference, like you were just saying, between you, Noah, and Stan, the character, but obviously having to walk that fine line on set, what was it like directing yourself in, in some of these scenes? I'm or difficult. how do you approach I'm that? I'm so difficult. <laughs> I almost fired myself twice. Uh, you know, I heard that from you. <clears throat> you know, directing myself was, was really relatively easy. I didn't have a problem with myself in the scenes. I did feel sort of somewhat guilty or bad about the other actors that I was working with in scenes that I was in because I felt dist- I was distracted. Like, you know, they just, they're entitled to a director who's just fully focused on their on the performances and, 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 and taking care of the actor. And I felt that I couldn't quite take care of them as fully as I wanted to because I was also taking care of myself in some way. Although it wasn't that bad. It was just that was the one area I felt conscious of uh, and slightly awkward about. But, you know, I know the cast so well and they don't need a lot to be honest, basically get out of their way, let them make you look good and you'll be great. So it ended up being pretty, pretty smooth and pretty easy. And my fears around it were, were overblown, I think. Was there any element of like, these are all your colleagues that you work with and now you're telling them what to do? Well, that first day, first day or two, there was a transitional sort of growing pains of, you know, I'm all of a sudden I've become management. It's like you become the principal. Like you're with, <laughs> you're with the kids and you're in the auditorium and next thing you know, you're on stage going, shut up in the back row. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I didn't want to be, I was, I was self-conscious about that. It's funny because you also were in the episode a lot. Yeah. A lot of the episode takes place at the FBI, which is a set you're very familiar with. And in a way, you got to be the director who took those characters through probably the biggest transformation of that place that's happened so far. Right. And we got to use the set in a bigger way than we ever have before. You know, the FBI, we really used the whole bullpen, we call it, that big main area. And built a bathroom. And built a bathroom. That bathroom does not exist on that set. No. FYI. Yeah. And we had many, many discussions about how many stalls yes. would be in that bathroom. You yeah. were like, there have got to be four. I'm not needed, shooting this I scene needed, unless I, I get four stalls. <laughs> yeah. We ended up with three, though. So that's why the scene's a little was weaker it, than you, it could be. <laughs> we insisted on, I just, arbitrarily, I knew it would be three, so I insisted on two. I knew we'd close right. it at three. Yeah, I always imagine that this particular, the character, I guess this is for people who've already seen the show. Yeah, so yeah. you're no not spoiling anything. Okay, so when Martha walks down those stalls, I just imagined a long walk, almost like a plank walk, you know, walk back into that corner of the room. I I wanted it to feel ominous and clickety-clackety, you know, solitary. Uh, and it just it was too short a walk, it seemed, it wouldn't have that tension. Um, but there was a budget issue. I mean, this is what it comes down to. This is the other, this is one of the big things is that where the compromises come from, why they need to come, how you figure out how to work within the constraints. I think it's ultimately probably more creative and more interesting because of the limitations. You, you're forced to be come up with interesting ideas. And some of the things you think you need for sure, you actually don't at all. Like the stalls. Like, I really wanted at least four. I think we had three. And originally I thought, like, well, six, it's going to be like a bureaucratic government bathroom. It's going to be huge, you know. 
and that's not our budget exactly. I was so. trying to talk you out of that. I was like, oh no, there's <laughs> yeah. definitely three stalls at the FBI. Like, yeah, making that um, shit but, up. But you know, actually, but but that led to a conversation with Diane, the production designer, who was talking about sort of creating the lines of the bathroom so it would appear to be longer, and the visual where the lights were, and the lines of the floor and the tiling, so that we 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 actually that led to a really constructive conversation about how to find what I was looking for in the number, maybe other ways visually. Did so, you know feel that, cheated because you did not get to work closely with the male robot in this episode? <laughs> you know, I never, I, I felt cheated because I had no Russians and no male robot. I had no Russians. It made my life easier, certainly because I don't speak Russian. And that's always one of the things I was really curious about, how do you direct these scenes where you don't speak the language? And the male robot, I think, saved me, was, was what enabled me to come in on time and on budget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know who was really bummed out, actually, is Frank Langella. Because oh. he had said to us many times how much he loves you as an actor and wanted to work with you. And we assured him early on, don't worry, Noah's directing an episode, so at least you'll get to work together that way. And lo and behold, the one of the few episodes without It was Frank. incredible. And I was so excited to, to, to work with him. You know, I'm a huge fan and I love his work. And I thought, well, I'm going to be able to direct Frank Langella. This is going to be so amazing. And there was a brief moment where I thought I was, in fact, directing him and then there was rewrites and changes and he ended up not being in this episode and originally was, you were barely in the episode i mean that was the yeah. idea that we would write an episode for you to direct and you would barely be in it so you could direct it right and then just scenes kept getting added added and added until you were in it probably more than a usual yeah. episode. you were although it worked out from a practical standpoint quite well because you were not heavy in episode six the exactly. prior episode which really allowed you to prep right and eight i was pretty light in too which so allowed to me edit. to edit you yeah. know so actually i think that's actually a better way to do it i it didn't matter that i was in it or not like that didn't take up time it's the one before and the one after that are more critical well one of the huge set pieces which i remember extensive prep went into and we actually still have to this day in our writer's room the diagrams that you guys drew out for it the is diner. the huge oh set piece, uh, you know, abduction scene at yeah. the end of the episode. When you, and that changed in the script so many times, and then again when we found the location, it mm. changed again. And I remember, like I said, on the whiteboard, you and uh, Dan Sackheim and I think Mike Fucci from Locations all came in and started drawing it out yeah. and very animatedly started acting yeah. out the scene <laughs> yeah. in the writers' room, which was very entertaining. Yeah. When you first read that. Um, you know, when you first got the script, were you just like, come on, guys? Like, were you super intimidated or annoyed that it's like uh, my first time out of the box and you're giving me this? I was or- like, holy shit. Yeah, wow. There's, <laughs> like, the one thing I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have an appetite for, didn't think it would be great to give to me was any sort of big action sequence. I thought, well, that's not we my got forte. something for you. <laughs> exactly. It's like, just big not- for this show. That's yeah. good, you know? <laughs> it was like, this is not, this is not my thing. Like, I'm, I'm emotional. I'm dramatic. I'm interested in maybe some comedy, but action, like, just don't give me any actions. Please don't, don't give me any action. And then there's this big action set piece. And I, and I realized that's exactly what I wanted, you know? I mean... With the help of some a friend I was talking to, she's like, and she said, you know, well, of course you can do. Why don't think? Why don't you think you can do that? Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean you can't do it. And I was like, you know, you're right. All I gotta do is, like I said earlier, see when I read it, like what do I see in my head, and just and then just literally break that down piece by piece and figure out how to do it. And it was actually great puzzle and great fun to do. Excuse me, do you have the time? Sorry, I can't help you. I don't know. And it's funny, everyone around me 
you know, especially Dan Sackheim, who was, you know, sort of my mentor, producing director, uh, who was who really held my hand through a lot of this. He was like, I don't know, you know, you seem a little bit too calm about this action. Like, you know, I was like, I got it. I promise you, I got it. <laughs> the tables turned so much. And, you know, at the end of it, he said, I'm amazed. You, you did. You got it. I was like, yeah, it isn't, you know, if you break something down, it's just step by step by step. Well, it seems like you did a lot of that throughout the process. And it was a great way to not be intimidated by by any of it. And yet you drilled deeply into all of it. And that whole episode, how many days did you shoot the episode? Seven. Seven days, top yeah. to bottom. You well, seven plus, plus a, a couple of hours of a tandem on a hanging Chad day. But basically seven days, yeah. Well, we heard that when the going got rough, it's like you ran into a real problem on a drawbridge and you still like just worked your way right around it. Oh, yeah. What yeah, happened we, there? Things are very different on paper than they are in, in life. You know, one of the other directors said to me, they're going to give you a schedule. And they're going to tell you, this is your schedule. You have to make this. And just so you know, that schedule is not makeable. It's not real. No one makes it. It never will be made. It's oh, it's, it's built in to be not makeable. You know, we, was, we don't feel that way. Completely <laughs> makeable schedule. <laughs> we don't know what your problem is. Ow! Ow! Joel! Ow! Ow! <laughs> you know what? You watch yourself a six-day episode next season. Six days. I think you can do it. So, so uh, apropos that, which is, this is a real truth. Like, so they, they write down a company move, which means we're shooting on location away from our stages, tons of trucks and equipment and people to move. And then it says company move, which means you're moving from location A to location B, which could be a five minute drive away. It could be an hour drive away. This one was a, supposed to be a 20 minute drive to the next location. And they schedule that move for, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes. But the real company move, no matter, even if you're going a block away, by the time you load the trucks, unload the trucks, move all the equipment, it's at least an hour. You know, that's not part of the schedule in, 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 the, in, the, in the strips of the, of the day. And we don't also, feel that way. And also not part of the schedule <laughs> is the drawbridge. Is the drawbridge. Now, this drive, this 20-minute drive from location A to location B. Ha, in fairness, half the crew made it. <laughs> exactly. There's not the lights or the cameras. You should have just shot the first half of the scene. <laughs> Well, the, if only if the camera truck had made it first, we would have been fine. <laughs> but the drawbridge, the cars are loading and they're driving from A to B. And sure enough, the drawbridge that is midway between A and B goes up. And half of the cars got stuck behind this drawbridge. You on had no ropes day. or ladders? We had no whistle. <laughs> if I'd had a hot wire, the drawbridge, I would have lowered it myself. But they were, you know, we got to the location. It was a snowstorm day. It was a huge exterior scene, uh, the scene where, where Elizabeth and Hans are staking out uh, Nkobo. Noah's on his cell phone with the mayor's office. Put him on. I don't care. <laughs> it's a, yeah. So, and we just didn't figure out where the camera was. Where's the camera team? Where's the camera crew? Where's the equipment? Where are the lights? And they were sure enough stuck behind this drawbridge for, you know, half an hour, which is, you Which know, is money, a fortune worth money. of money. That's, yeah, why, that's, we, that's why everybody cares. That's the biggest change in perspective that I had as a director. The biggest change is time. Like, your it's relationship time. to time. It's really the, 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 the time, the equals, time money. equals money and money yeah. equals time. So what, what happens and what we, we struggle with often are questions about these company moves in these locations. Well, if it's going to be a move... What that really is, you can look at the dollars and cents, but at the end of the day, that's time that you're not shooting the scene in a closer location. Right. So that's what you have to balance right. out always. And unless you have unlimited resources, each of these things is a compromise. And sometimes the location is so important that it drives that. But other times, boy, you really 
you prefer to take that time to get the scene. You know, the worst thing for an actor, this happened to me one time on set and I, I got mad about it, but we were, you know, I was shooting a scene at the end of the day and it was a hard, challenging scene, gentle scene. You need to feel like you have sort of infinite space and time to play with it and to get it right. And the producer walked on set and was like, all right, guys, you got 15 minutes to get this. 15 minutes to get this. I was like, what? I, that's the last thing an actor ever wants to hear. It's just like, okay, write the scene. You have seven minutes. Like, what? I can't, you know, what? Um, so you, you, the actors need to feel like there's infinite time. There's no pressure. Like, we'll do 20 takes. Relax. But you only have time for two. But I'm not going to tell you that. You know, it, that's part of the game. It's um, funny you mention that because people notice sometimes I wear my watch on my belt. Right. Which is an odd place to wear one's watch. And the reason I wear my watch on my belt is it started when I would be on the set. And I just felt that that looking at my watch on my wrist right. was too much pressure and kind of rude to everybody. Right. But if I had it on my belt, I could surreptitiously glance down, glance down and see how we were doing. Right, right, right. Exactly. You never want to be caught, you know, looking at the looking at time or talking about time from the actor's point of view. You know, from the crew's point of view, you don't mind having them know, hey, guys, can we hustle a little bit? But the only way to do that is never to say hustle. It's just to hustle yourself. If you hustle, they'll hustle. Like that's one of the things I really felt you know, was important to do was like, don't walk, like move, walk quickly. Don't like, you know, directors, you know, I, I never, I didn't sit down. I don't think once any of the days that I directed, I was up. I like to be in the scene, like to be near the people, like to see what's happening. If you're sort of sitting by video village with your headphones on, waiting for the, waiting for some AD to call action, like you're not really leading the crew. You're not really inspiring people to like be efficient or fast or energized. So I felt like it was important to be sort of in the game. And, you know, look, there are genius directors who sit in their trailer and watch on the monitor. There's no right way to do it. But for me, what felt right was to be sort of with the troops in the, in, in the trenches, you know, making sure mustering as much spirit and, you know, esprit de corps as we could, we could get. Was one of the big changes for you, I mean, when you're an actor, obviously, when you're done with the episode, when your work is done, you move on and you start right. looking towards the other episode or you're shooting pickups from other things. But with this, not only did you get the script ahead of time to prep it, you shoot it, but then you got to follow the episode into post-production. Yeah. Did you really enjoy spending so much more time with the episode? And how did that sort of change your relationship with what you had shot and sort of the way you you would approach maybe your, your next directing experience? Right. Uh, I love post. I mean, production is fantastic and I loved it and it's exciting and it's sort of like war, but... You know, in, in terms of like the adrenaline and the mindset and the and the and the limited time, but post is where you really craft and shape and make the episode. And I love editing. I love scoring. I love every element of post. What was your biggest surprise in post production on this episode? <laughs> How much structural work you guys are particularly open and talented at reimagining structural design of an episode so you shoot it with you know transition shots in mind and you think this is really a b c d e f g and then you come in and go you know how about if we put a f c g q z and then m and it's like what the hell are you talking about like, my brain didn't have that muscle at all i wasn't imagining that and wow it works better it looks like it was written to be that like so the flexibility the openness of, of reorganizing and reimagining a storyline in post, post facto, you know, literally it's been shot and you're changing the storyline and how much that works. In fact, I had a thought today because I've sort of caught the bug. We're watching the mix. This picture's locked and I had a thought about changing the scene order that I wish I had brought up and just try. And that's the thing. You're never finished with post. You can always, you, you, you're never finished. You just stop. You know, you're not really done. You just, you run Someone out of time. Someone just takes it away eventually. Someone just takes it away because I still have some <laughs> cut ideas that I would love to try. Um, well, the adjustments you can make 
are mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, you could literally make a funny scene serious, a serious yeah. scene funny. There's no yeah. tonal or emotional adjustment. I mean, I may be exaggerating a little bit, no. but it's pretty mind-boggling what you can do. No, and by yeah. adjusting the or the scene order or even internal scene stuff, pulling lines out, it, you really can change things. Stephen Bochco always said that editing is the final rewrite. You you get to keep... It, yeah. Editing is writing. That's what he said. It's totally writing. And I love it. And I love the fact that there's no... I mean, I, that there's no elements out of your control. There's no snowstorm that's going to come. There's no drawbridge <laughs> that goes up. There's no camera that breaks. It's just really comfortable. You're warm. You got a coffee maker. You sit back well, and say, do this, and the editor yeah. does it. And it I does, like that part. And it happens. I like that part. Right. I'll tell you one that was a big surprise to me was, was the song. At the ah, end. the song. Because yeah. uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, because yeah. initially the idea was score, but it felt like it kind of dropped in and out and didn't really support the scene. And oh, yeah. then when we finally found the song, it starts much earlier now uh, over Martha. Actually, it starts yeah. now over Philip oh, in the right. kitchen. That's right. Yeah. Before, but even yeah. before going to Martha. And then looking for that song was a whole story in and of itself because where we started really was looking for a song that would underscore the action. With the Rolling Stones. First, right. And, right. And it that wasn't. Was, yeah. and, and basically the trick was finding a song that underscored the, the themes and characters yeah. and the action played yeah that was yeah and i love it's so good i mean that i feel i mean i love the 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 cut and the way it lays in is really beautiful and i i had always imagined a different song like i had imagined this rolling stones cut which in pre-production i was talking with our music supervisor and you know he did you have it in your head when you shot it yeah that's interesting yeah yeah i mean that song Um, was great by the way that song did work yeah you know which uh which song slave And I knew there's a really good chance it wasn't going to be that yeah. song, but I just thought it's not a, not a bad template uh, and the pace and the and the shape of it. Uh, my biggest fear, I didn't have any. I mean, the surprises were more relieves. That you know, I did a couple of scenes where I kind of, and I remember speaking to you guys about this before I shot, saying, you know, how okay with you guys are because we talked about the style and being economical and being visually sort of minimalist in some areas and what you can communicate without too much coverage because of the time constraints. And I remember thinking. Are you okay if I don't have coverage on everything? Like if I don't, you know, if I try and do something in a one or like, that's kind of a risky thing to do and terrified me. Although there were a few scenes where I really thought this is the way to do it and it's going to save us. And it's actually how I think it's ideally to be shot and how it serves us in the time front is really great. But I was terrified of getting to the cutting room and having the editor go, you know, well, we need to cut to something here. And then you... Yeah, I think like we were we were at the mix today and we were watching the whole episode and there was this scene where Philip and Elizabeth are in bed. Yeah, that's where the, Philip one tells about the about his son. And I feel like more and more I feel like just those are the scenes. There's maybe one per episode if you're lucky, but sometimes there are two per episode. Sometimes there's an episode without one. But they, those sort of incredibly intense emotional episodes where something gets revealed or something happens between Elizabeth and Philip that is so both emotionally intense and could only happen on this show. There could only be that kind of discussion on this show. And those are the scenes where there's like six distinct emotional beats where things are said and reactions are happen. And that's what you can't miss. Right. That's what you can't miss. It's the only thing that that you can't really screw up or it'll 
fuck up the whole episode. Right. You know, and the, the, but the kind of the, the one. But that scene was shot. That was a one That's right. There's no and, coverage and in that there's scene. There's no coverage in that it's scene. Two, and, it's two characters at the same time, live on camera in the same frame. So you need performance from both of them to be perfect or, you know. And I was terrified because I really thought that was going to be a wonder and I really didn't want it to be edited because when the emotional through line is so strong and so much is happening, I feel like editing sort of gets in the way, like let the actors breathe and the frame. But I was, that's exactly the scene like that's the foremost in my mind in terms of fear. Yeah. But I, but we did it and it worked. And, and it's funny you talk about actors together in the frame because something, I don't know whether we talked about with you explicitly or whether you heard it in some of our prior tone meetings. But one thing we often say to visiting directors is, as much as it's important for us to go fast and to get the show in its in its unrealistic schedule, one thing people often do to shave time on these television schedules is walk people into overs and not get two shots. Right. Because if you if you walk somebody right. yeah, into an over, them. you isolate them, and you've done that side, and you never have to get the two shot. And the problem with that is what you don't get is two actors in a frame playing together. Right. And in a way, I think of that scene that you were talking about with Philip sharing the secret about his son after Elizabeth has reached out and apologized. Elizabeth right. Jennings apologizing for not telling him about what she did with their daughter. I think to you, that's the bigger bombshell in this episode than the finding the bug at the FBI. Oh my is that God. Elizabeth of course the it is. is. Of course, of course it is. It is. The, the bug was eventually going to be found. Elizabeth yeah. Jennings apologizing? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, podcast listeners, tweet your thoughts, but uh, <laughs> there's no question that that's the bigger surprise. But your choice to get that in a one someone might say that that minimized editorial options, but I would say what it did was force the actors to play together in that frame and make those moments very real. And had you been playing those in separate pieces, you wouldn't have had that level of intimacy that you caught right. there. Well, guys, thank you so much for talking about episode seven. Hold on, seven. let's talk about the next scene. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was recorded over nine days. Uh, Noah Emmerich, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, well, thanks for having me. Joel Fields, Joe Weisberg, I guess it's nice that you're here, Molly too. Nussbaum. We got to go. Hey, uh, we have casting to take care of. We have editing <laughs> you to do. You do your sign-off? This is my Fields sign-off. Time. I'm Joel Fields. We have casting, editing, and things to do. <laughs> it for this week join us again next week when we talk about episode eight divestment with allison wright or as you may know her martha as well as our stunt coordinator ian mclaughlin a big thank you to our producers our producer henry malofsky our executive producer podcast overlord andy bowers and laura mayer i'm molly newsbaum thanks again for listening This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. That's P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. Panoply.